All right, well, make sure that you see Steve and Carol afterwards. Steve does talk, by the way, in case you don't know that. Um, and a very fun guy. Uh, and Carol, grateful for you for sure. And Tina, you will get more awes, sympathy awes for being married to Greg over the years. Just want you to know. Um, well, again, guys, thanks for joining us here this morning. You're catching us um, in actually what is part 10 of a series we're calling Endure. I was off last week. I want to thank you, Greg. I didn't thank you while you're up here, but thank you for speaking here um, last week on my behalf. Thank you for allowing our family to get away. Jen and I enjoyed a little bit of a break together, which was good for us. And probably good for you, too, that, that, that I was off. Anyway, um, so, he, so as I was thinking about this message this morning, I went back in my mind to about, oh my goodness, 25 years ago when I was in college. And one of my college profs went on a missions trip, and he took a team to Jamaica. And it was a normal rhythm of of life to go on missions trips. And in this case, going to Jamaica, it was something that they did all the time. Uh, but in this case, he came back and he told me a story and it was, it was very interesting. And I'd be curious at some point to ask you what you would do in the situation that he was in. The team that he had with him, again, um, college students and a few juniors and seniors in high school, let's say about 10 people. Um, he was in a small town in Jamaica called Olympic Gardens, which sounds kind of nice, but actually is kind of the ghetto um, in and around Kingston area. And while they were doing ministry there, they were an evangelism team, basically. So they would do for the kids, like a little puppet show. Then they would do some singing. Um, there may be a skit that they would do. They would take their portable speakers and set them up um, on the street corner, basically, outside of maybe like a 7-Eleven kind of shop and broadcast into the streets and just invite a crowd and share the gospel, share these, um, these things with children, with teens, with whoever parents and adults would be in the vicinity. And so they were doing this on Olympic Gardens and there's a crowd gathering, not huge I'm sure, but a crowd gathering. And, um, then all of a sudden they start to hear pop, 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 pop. They're unsure what it was. Then they started to see some people in scattering streets, uh, different streets, just kind of running down the street. To which then their liaison, who was there in Olympic Gardens, who was helping manage their team, said, um, those are gunshots. Now, people start scattering, and as a team leader, you have to make a decision about what you do with the responsibility you have of these 10 young adults, youth under your care, and there's live gunshots happening in the community that you're in, right here, with an earshot. You see people running. To which they, at first, begin kind of packing it up internally, at least. You can see them pulling back and thinking, how do we get out of here? To which then, the guy on the ground in Jamaica, the Jamaican leader, he says to the team leader, please don't go. If you leave, like everybody else does, it's going to send the message that Christians are weak and afraid. And the message of life over death will be lost here. Pop, pop, pop. What would you do? So our team leader, it wasn't, I wasn't on the team, the team leader, and I'm not speaking the third person, the team leader decided to stay. They kept their sound system set up and they kept singing and then giving a testimony through all of the stuff that was going on right around them. Was it the right decision? Was it the wrong decision? It was the decision. 
Later they reflected, and they all survived. Later they reflected on this principle, that sometimes there's tremendous power in staying, not just in going another direction. Sometimes there's tremendous power in remaining, in standing, and in not running. And I think it's a principle that we've all actually experienced. I remember 15 years ago at Grace Point, we were going through a hard time. One of our former pastors, Pastor Del Souter, as we were recovering from that hard time and we were trying to talk about what's next at Grace Point, we were writing a document about where we're going, some priorities, some vision, some direction. He suggested we should call it continuing the course. The reason was because we're not doing something new, we're staying, we're continuing the course of what we've been on. Because there's power in continuing, being clear that we're continuing. If you're a parent, you know the power of this for your children. They need stable environments. Where they come home, the world is chaotic, but at home, mom continues to love me. Dad continues to care for me. You know the power of this in business, that your employees come and have a stable, clear environment to succeed. There's power not just in starting new things, but in continuing good things. This morning with our faith, I want to make this case, and I want to take you to an ancient document that suggests this. I want to make this case this morning that sometimes continuing the course is more powerful than charting a new one. That continuing the course is more powerful than charting a new one sometimes. And the reason that's important for our faith is because sometimes we can be drawn to so many different ideas and ideologies and thought patterns. And we can kind of lose our ground sometimes. Sometimes out of fear, not unlike the team in the Olympic Gardens in Jamaica, we can be afraid of the pops around us, the gunshots around us, of the people who tell us and we hear the voices like, you're a fool for staying there. No one believes like that anymore. You still believe in that God? You still have that kind of faith? And we hear it all around us on social media. We hear it with our friend groups. We hear it from the people that we work with and maybe even with our families. And we're tempted to leave where we are or maybe how we've been raised or what we've been raised to value. Because sometimes we feel like, especially as Americans who like innovation and impact, and I'm not against that, we often feel like chasing a new idea. That's where the energy is. Innovation, creativity, that's where the power is. That's the future. But sometimes staying the course, continuing the course is more important and more powerful than charting a new one. This principle, I believe, guided the early church from the very beginning. There weren't gunshots in Olympic Gardens when, when Paul, early follower of Christ, wrote the letter that we get to hold in front of us today. But there was future persecution. There was persecution coming heavy on the church from Rome. There were burnings of people live in Nero's gardens. There was economic persecution happening to Christians. There's a kind of persecution that continued to press on their faith to say, are you going to stand? Are you going to stay? Or are you going to run? This principle guided, I think, the early church, and I think still guides us today. So I want to invite you to go back in time with me to read an ancient letter. It's called 2 Timothy. And we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to it. If you have it on your phone, uh, pull up version or whatever other app you have uh, to grab the access to the Bible. Uh, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning, covering just five verses, um, excuse me, six, I suppose. Um, 
and I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the chair near you. That's our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible this morning, by the way, I'd love to have you take that home with you. I'm going to read this in its entirety and then make a couple comments on it and, and go from there. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, 10 to 15 is where we're at, beginning in verse 10. Again, Paul's writing, he's in prison in a dungeon. He's about to die. He knows it, and so he's giving these last words to Timothy. And so he's talking to Timothy when he's writing. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All right. So let me talk about this with you for a little bit. Um, let's talk about the first two verses especially. Look back at those with me, verse 10, where Paul begins this. I've read this dozens of times by now in preparation for this morning, but I love what I read there when Paul is writing. And as I read it again, just think about for a minute, I've thought about this myself, and maybe this helps you. What would you write about your life? <laughs> I imagine being Paul and think, if I'm writing to somebody, what would I write about myself? that I want them to remember. Like, hey, don't, don't forget the times when what? And here's what he says. Look at it. He said, you, however, know all about my teaching. I'm going to go slow here for, for the value that's here. Sometimes that's all we know about people, right, is what they taught. And those people have a moderate impact on us. They're good teachers. But I love what he says next. He says, my way of life. I missed this at first, but as I was reading this, I'm seeing the power of this, that he's, Paul is saying, Timothy, you know what I've taught, right? But beyond that, I've invited you behind the curtain. I've invited you into my life. You've seen how I've lived. So it's not just what I'm teaching, Timothy. I'm going to ask you to endure under persecution, but not just because of my teaching, but because you've seen it in me. You've seen my way of life. And then he goes on, he says, my purpose, the intentionality of his life. And then he says, faith, patience, love, endurance. Verse 11. Paul didn't write verse 11, by the way. He wasn't sitting in prison saying, now I'm going to write 11. <laughs> but there is a break. There is a break. And I think rightly so. He says, my purpose, my faith, how faithful I've been, how patient I've been, how loving I've been, how much I've endured. And again, I think, man, could I write that about myself? Could you write that about yourself? I don't know about me. But then he goes on in verse 11 to talk about the persecutions and the sufferings. These things are outside of him. That which happened to him, he says, in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Now, that may mean nothing to you, which is fine, but it does locate it in history, if you're a fact checker, Paul is saying, let me just give you the specific names of the towns so that you know this is not a made-up story later on. You can go check it out. I was in Antioch. Go ask them what happened. I was in Iconium. Ask them what happened. I was in Lystra. Go ask them what happened. And you, when you were to go to those places, basically you would see without a problem that, <laughs> that Paul in those places was stoned nearly to death. He had mobs coming out against him. 
He had people who left him for dead, who ridiculed him, who wanted to get rid of him. He had to, in those towns, look out for his own life to find ways to get through so that people wouldn't kill him. And so he's going through this kind of personal persecution in these towns for the purpose of spreading the hope of Christ and sharing the good news of Jesus. He says, Timothy, you know what happened there, right? Like, yeah, I know what happened. And then he says in verse 12, and this is kind of unsettling, beginning in verse 12, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I'm okay, Paul, that you had a historical experience with this, but that's all that I think it is. Now, when he goes on and says, everyone is actually going to experience the kinds of things that I've experienced here, I say, well, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, I might ask you, when's the last time you've been nearly stoned to death, right? And none of us would raise our hands, I hope. And I would wonder, really, like, Paul, are you for real? Are you telling the truth that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted? Because what you're talking about, Paul, your life, does not reflect the reality of my life, at least not here in North America in 2022. It simply doesn't. I don't have the fear of a mob running me out of town most days. I don't have the fear of being stoned to death. I just don't have these physical fears. And yet when I reflect back on what Paul was writing, I think it actually makes tremendous sense. Think about it with me this way. Look at the beginning of verse 10 again. He says, you know all about my teaching, way of life, purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. As I think about what Paul is saying, what he's telling Timothy is anybody who wants to live, and this is the, the precursor to it, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. So if that's your desire, I want to live a godly life in Christ. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be, look at what Paul wrote, he, you have to be someone of faith, someone of purpose, someone of patience, someone of love, someone of endurance. And so if you are wanting to, in a world, check out how I think this works, this is how I think this works. In a world that is confused, about what is right or wrong, true or false. In a world that's confused and wants to judge quickly, if you show patience, what do you think will happen to you in your friend groups? If you show patience, what do you think is going to happen? In a world that wants to hate the person on the other side of the aisle, whether it's right or left, it doesn't matter. In a world that says, you're against me, you went that way, and you want to love instead of hate, what do you think will happen to you? <laughs> I didn't hear that. Maybe that'll happen to you. I don't know. By the way, I love that family. I, I really do. Um, but seriously, what do you think will happen to you? If you're in a world like we are right now, where the tendency is to say, you know, I don't have the patience to wait to listen to your argument all the way through. And you demonstrate patience to listen. If you show compassion to people whom the world is quick to judge, do you think persecution will come? If you show faithfulness where the world is unfaithful, where the world says, no, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe that there can be a God who does that. I don't believe that there's hope even for people who are oriented that way, who think that way, who believe that way, who vote that way, who live that way. That's too much. But you show patience. You show love. You show a kind of endurance that's focused on living a godly life in Christ. What do you think will, be, will happen? 
I would argue you will be persecuted. I would argue your persecution will look different than Paul's. But I would say that you will be pushed out of your friend groups. I will say that people will speak all kinds of evil against you. And I would also argue that it will get worse, not better. That there's a tendency for people who are the persecutors to gather together to find power among like-minded people and press and press and press until their agenda is met. Verse 13 puts it in Paul's terms. He says, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. When I look at that, I think these are, you got to see this cycle here. These are people who are deceiving and being deceived at the same time. When I hear people who come out of cults, I hear this narrative all the time. They're like, I grew up in it. I didn't know any different. I taught it. I lived it. I was the, in the act of deceiving. But at the same time, people over me were deceiving me. I was being deceived while I was deceiving. And only later did I understand. The same, I would argue, is happening in Russia right now. The turning off of information outside of what is in Russia, the, the attempt to deceive, and then those who are sending the information themselves being deceived by the very information that is being sent. That this rhythm of I'm deceiving and being deceived happens to us all the time, all the time. And it happens in the middle of misinformation. It happens in the middle of a culture that's confused. When there's misinformation, you know this is true. This is why rumors persist, because if people think they have the secret information about what free agent athletic deal is about to go down, about who's about to be fired from their job, about who's about to break up with who, all of that, I have the inside scoop. When I have that information, information is power. And if I can get that information and deceive you into thinking that it is right, you are deceived and being deceived, and you may spread that, and now you are deceiving others. And Paul is saying, you are going to run into this world, Timothy, where this misinformation campaign will continue to thrive over and over and over. The empire in his world, the Roman Empire, will send messages about you. They're going to blame a future fire in Rome on you. There's going to be messages of deception and deceiving all the time. How are you going to handle that world when the invitation is to stand and to endure and to show patience, love, and endurance? But you're being attacked, and there's gunshots going on around you. What are you going to do? This is why he says in verse 14, and this is the crux of what he calls for in a world that creates this angst. He says, but as for you, this is all he asks him to do. Continue. That's it. Continue. Stand there. Remain. Stay. Continue. And then he clears it up a little bit. Continue in what you have learned and have been become convinced of. Do you see the movement there? He's a, you've learned some things, but you've become convinced of things too. This is probably true for you. It's true for me. When I was young, I learned about the story of David and Goliath in church. Anyone with me? Anyone hear the story of David and Goliath when they're young? When I was older, I faced some other giants, and maybe you have too, and there was a giant of death. It's a pretty big giant for all of us. But I have learned how David handled the, the giant of Goliath. But I have been convinced by watching people I love face death that David and Goliath isn't just an Old Testament story, but that faith in the middle of 
facing a giant is powerful. And when placed in God through Christ our Savior, that moves me deeply. I've moved from learning about to being convinced. I've learned about as a kid that Jesus Christ came to the cross, came to the earth, died on the cross for my sins. And then ask Jesus into your heart. That's what I heard when I was five, eight, ten, twelve. Later in life, I've become convinced that the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is a historical event through study, learning, and my own skepticism. I've moved from what I've learned to what I've been convinced of. The same for turning the other cheek. I've heard that when I was little. Maybe you did too. Turn the other cheek. A soft answer turns away wrath. Maybe you've heard that. But then you have siblings and you're like, that doesn't work. <laughs> but then I become convinced as I get older through the example of mentors who actually do that in the face of very difficult things. But no, there's... There's value to patience and love and forgiveness in painful and difficult times. And there are things I would argue that you would say in your own life. There's things you've learned, but then there's things you become convinced of. And Paul's writing to Timothy, Timothy, stand, not just on the things you've learned. You've learned a lot. Remember what you've become convinced of. And there may only be a few of those things. That's your center point. Remain. And if you're not sure where those come from, he continues. He says, because, you become convinced of these, because, two reasons, because you know those from whom you learned it. In other words, there are mentors, there are people in your life who you've learned from, even if it be so briefly, there are people that you can look back on and say, my parent my dad, my mom, my coach, my teacher, my Sunday school teacher, my small group leader, my boss, my roommate, my peer, my uncle, my grandmother, my grandfather, kid I went to school with, kid I went to camp with. There are people I can look back on and say, they carried something that has deeply impressed me, their story, the way they lived out their faith. Not just what they've learned, but the way they lived out their faith. It changed me. And Paul's saying, don't forget that, because the junk is going to come. And when the pain comes, remember their names. Remember their stories. Years ago, when I graduated from Dallas Seminary, Jen gave me a gift. It was a picture frame of one of the, camp, one of the buildings on campus. Um, but what was more powerful to me was that she had taken the time, and the, the frame is, has a mat around it, um, about two inches wide around the, the, the deal. Uh, she had sent that mat around to most of my professors that I have had who taught me during my time at Dow Seminary. They signed it all around this thing. And I will tell you more than once over the years, when I have been discouraged, when, when I've been depressed, when I've felt down and unsure that this is working, whatever this is for that week for me, I have more than once looked at that picture and seen the names, the signatures. And in the looking, I see, I happen to have an engagement. There's Chuck Swindoll's name up there. There's Howard Hendricks' name up there for me. There's Glenn Kreider written up there. There's Lanier Burns over here. And all these people, they bring back memories. 
of what these people have impressed in me in terms of conviction. And I look at my week and I say, I need to remember. I need to remember who's come before me. I need to remember not just what I've learned, but what I've become convinced of. And this is why Paul writes it to Timothy, because when the arrows fly, when the shots get fired, when you're not sure if you should continue or not, he's like, remember the names. Remember the lives of the people who have impacted you. And if that's not enough, because sometimes it's not, he goes further. One more thing to remember. And how, verse 15, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are, to make, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's like, you, if you're not sure, if you can rack your brain and can't think of a single person who's impacted you and made an impression on you, he's like, remember. Remember the objective witness of the ancient and sacred scriptures. Remember the historical writings. And Paul is writing one at the very moment that he's creating this. He said, look back. Look back on what was written about Christ. Look back at the scriptures themselves. That you can, in the moment of struggle, remember the verse is, the chapters, the stories, the movement of God as written down for us. So that when all the stuff comes firing around you, you can stand and stay. Because sometimes, sometimes, continuing the course is more powerful than charting a new one. Especially when things get difficult. Now, I've wondered, because I tend to wonder things. Some might argue I over-wonder, and I don't want any commentary on that, okay? No, that's not a good time for an amen. Um, okay. I, I've wondered, like, what would, if, literally, if Paul were here in 2022, what would he write? How, how would he write this to Timothy? And I don't know if you ever do this practice or not. It is helpful every now and then. And sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. There's good practice of actually rewriting the scriptures in a current context. And so this is not, what I'm about to read to you, is not the Bible. Whatever authority you give to the scriptures, put me about 100 steps lower than that. Because what I did is I decided I'm going to write out, just for my own exercise, if Paul were writing to Timothy now, how would he talk about this now to him, in this world we're in, in our cultural moment, in this space that we're in? What would that sound like? And I can be totally wrong with this, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. You get to decide what's valuable here. But as I wrote this, I'm like, hey, this may be helpful. It was at least helpful to me. So here you go. I'm going to read this thing to you. You ready for that? Overwhelming response. There we go. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. A much better placed amen than the one just a few moments ago. Here's my make-believe account of Paul writing to Timothy in verses, from verses 10 to 15. Timothy, you know all about what I've taught you and what I've lived before you. You remember all the meetings at Corner Coffee, all the texts we exchanged when things were hard. You remember the patience I showed when the world was going crazy. You remember the love I showed to people who were against me? And you remember the way people mischaracterized me when they didn't get what they wanted. You remember the talking behind my back, the way my decisions were ridiculed? You remember the way people talked bad about me on account of the patience, love, and Christ-centered living I tried to model even with all my flaws? 
You remember the groups I was run out of, the people who tried to hurt me. Remember that God is the one who vindicates. He's the one who's in charge of rescuing, of saving us, not only eternally, but also in the spaces and the relationships that we inhabit. If you think my life's an anomaly, don't. This is your future too. If you want to live in a Christ-centered way in which you talk about him, try to live his values, exhibit patience where others are short-tempered, show love when others want condemnation, be ready for the fact that you too will be jettisoned from the groups you thought you belonged to. People will attack you. And it will be wrong, but they won't see it that way. They will spin a narrative to fit their worldview. The facts will be meaningless. Their emotion, their blind allegiance to their hidden worldview will be too much for many to overcome. And you will be the target of their fear. So Timothy, you will have options in front of you. You can choose to soften your stance to forget your values, to lose your true north. Or you can do something few people will be willing to do. You can continue the course in following Christ, no matter what comes. That's not to say you can't learn and remain humble because you'll make mistakes in how you're living that you don't intend. You'll hurt people because you'll be impatient and unloving at times. But you have the choice, Timothy, to stay the course, to continue to live out what you have heard and what you have seen work. These values are embedded deep within you. Don't lose sight of them. So when you're struggling for motivation because the path will be hard, remember that others you respect have been through similar things and have endured. Remember me. Remember your family. Remember the people who have invested in you. And if that's not enough, remember what you've been taught from the scriptures. The truth of the scripture stands alone from any mentor's imperfect life. There is truth there that reminds us all that Christ came to save us and to call us to a new command to love one another. So Timothy, take courage. Remember my life. Remember the scriptures. And stay the course. Speak and live with purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. The next generation will be learning from you. Is that what Paul would write? You get to decide. I think he tried to write something close to that when he was in prison in 2 Timothy chapter 3. To wrap all of this up, I have two questions for you. First question is this. Who or what do I need to remember to continue my course? Who or what do I need to remember to continue my course. If you have a desire, Paul puts it this way, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. If you're discouraged, you're depressed, you're struggling with that, you're unsure, you're unclear, who do you need to remember? Really, like my little picture, what names do you need to remember? What do you need to remember? What truth from the scripture do you need to remember to set in front of you as this is, this is what will help me continue? in the middle of the chaos around me. Now, some of you aren't quite here because you're not continuing the course. Let me ask a different question. Who or what do I need to remember to get on course? Because some of us are in a different spot. We've heard things as a child. 
we've tried our own way. We've gone a particular direction. We've been innovating. We've been embracing other thought patterns, another way of seeing the world, other ways of seeing faith. And the growth has been meaningful. The questions have been necessary. But maybe in your own life, there's something that says, you know what, I need to remember. I need to remember. And that's, in fact, maybe why I'm even here this morning. Maybe this is why I'm listening right now. I need to remember the life, the person who mentored me, who cared for me, who guided me, who gave me these things from the very beginning, because I think they had something. Who or what do I need to remember to get on course with this desire to know God and to follow Christ? Because again, I'm convinced at the end of the day that sometimes continuing the course is more powerful than charting a new one. Staying and standing when there's gunfire going around you, to stand for the hope of life over death, it will cost us all, but I don't know of a better message to send. Stay the course. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance this morning to gather around this ancient idea and this ancient writing, to revisit Paul in prison, if you will, in this dungeon, to grab onto this characteristic of perseverance and endurance that he gave to Timothy and told him in the middle of all the junk that is to come, just expect it, expect it. And in the middle of the pain and pressure of life, people doing things you didn't think they should do, hurt, pain, bitterness, rejection. Continue the course because it's in the continuing that we can continue to hold out the hope of Christ, the patience, endurance, peace, love in the middle of all that we have going on. So I pray for us this morning, Father. I believe we all are people in need of encouragement. We may need to take a moment to remember our grandparents, our parents, our teachers, our leaders, our friends, because we're discouraged right now. We need it. We need to remember not just what has been taught to us, that's not enough, but how it's been lived. Anyone do you remember the scriptures? A place we can go to find greatest measure of truth we know. So Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to remember and to persevere, to endure, and stay the course to live a godly life in Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.